Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand-new racing app for same-race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. But a champion becomes a legend. McCarty Deaver has won it. Perkins goes in first. What a legend. What a champion. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Such an enjoyable time every week as we sit down with the great of Australian sport and we do it again on This Is Your Sporting Life, the Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Today we are celebrating a 238-game, 332-goal career for the Mighty Bombers. He was known as a goal sneak, but he was a whole lot more than that. His name is Darren Buick and he's in the studio. Darren, welcome. Thanks, Pete. Great to be here. I'm Good to see you. I'm surprised about the grade of sporting uh, Australian oh, sport, but I'll, I'll take it for the hour. Mate, so. you don't play 238 games. I reckon from our point of view, the blokes who sit up the air on the third level in the wing and have never been out there in the field of battle, I reckon if you played one game, you're a bloody champion. So 238 makes you very good. Thank you very much. Appreciate and that. I'm looking forward to chatting about your great career. Uh, of course, you're still involved in footy as we speak now. It's been a long career at the Eastern Rangers. How long have you been there now as the coach in the TSC? Uh, this is my 10th year with the Rangers. I had two previous years when I first finished uh, in 2001 and 2002 with Gippsland Power. Um, had two years up in Darwin and worked at the Institute of Sport up there and ran their footy program. And um, after a stint with North Melbourne as an assistant, um, have now been at Eastern for 10 years. Do you think that's your lot in coaching or would you like someone to come and tap you on the shoulder one day and say, right, the big chair's yours? I really enjoy what I do, Pete. I really do. Um, I love giving the boys who, like myself, back in the day, had that dream of playing AFL footy and, and to help them and, and harness their ability and, and try and get them to a spot that I played um, is really fulfilling. Um, naturally, I'd love to coach at an AFL level, but... Um, you know, I had five years at North Melbourne and really enjoyed that time with Dean Laidley. And, um, but I think uh, where I'm at at the moment and, and what I do is um, suits me to a T. In that 10-year period that you've been there, have you seen a difference in the generations? We talk about Gen X and Gen Y and all the various young men and women indeed coming up through the ranks. Have you seen differences evolving in that decade? Yeah, most definitely. Um, when I first started, it was just tell and tell and tell. And, and now it's a little bit more... And it is in, in, in any coaching, it's more managing the person, um, and in our case, the young man, um, and to allow, enable them to be the best they can be. And uh, it's not the rah-rah that it used to be. It's all about um, learning about the indiv- individual and, and trying to get the best out of them. So there's a lot more to it, and I'm sure it happens, at, I know it happens at AFL level too. It's, not, it's more a managerial position now rather than the, the motivational coach. You've had some incredibly talented young men come through and some of the, the biggest modern names in the game, the likes of Tom Boyd. You must have felt for him and everything that he's been through since elevating himself to the top level. Yeah, most definitely. Um, 
and to be honest, never saw anything like that when he was with us. Um, yeah, very bright young boy. I mean, I think he got a 96 or something in his ATAR score. So he was very organised, very well managed and balanced, had a balanced life, a really good family support behind him. Um, but I mean, that's that maybe what AFL footy is, that the scrutiny is very, it's, it's huge. Um, and he went to a club that were, uh, it was number one pick and then he's come back here and in, you know, sort of unusual circumstances, um, the contract money's there. Um, but in the end, um, he proved everything right by going out and nearly being Norm Smith medalist on a, on a grand final day. Um, you know, I haven't spoken to him since I sent him a message. Um, but in my mind, I'm really proud of his courage to come out and, and say, well, this is, this is not for me now. It may have been, but, um, for his, his age, his, uh, responsibility, maturity, and, and as I said, courage to come out and say, well, that's part of my life's finish. It's not all my life. Um, that part of my life's finish, I can go and do something else now. I was really proud of him. A couple of other names you've had under your tutelage, Christian Petrarca, yep. the Melbourne star, who promises so much, and when he delivers, it's exciting to watch. But he's had a, a bumpy path, I think it would be fair enough to say. Yeah, I, injury in his first year, he did his knee. Yeah. I really set him back. But he's a confident, arrogant, in a good way, uh, he's got really good self-belief and he's a really good footy person. He's a great footy person to have around a footy club. I just think at the moment, um, we spoke about it, I think he's playing a little bit too safe. When mm. I was, you know, when I had him, it was just go out and play young fella and... Be and, instinctive. Yeah, and be the player we know you can be and, and play to your strengths. And I think that's a really big key for players. These days. Let them play to their strengths and, and show why they were drafted in the first place. And I think he might have just got away from that a little bit. And in talking to him a few weeks ago, there was something he was really keen to try and get back to. And John O'Patton's another one who's been through your hands. Speaking of guys who've had injury yeah. problems over yeah. his career, he was probably always going to be troubled by injury because of that massive body that he had. Yes. Um, and he was, he was one player, Peter, I thought when he got drafted, he would dominate the um, the the competition. Um, I think he's had two or three knee recos. Mm. He might've had a shoulder reconstruction. Um, he hasn't had a lot of luck and it's unfortunate because I don't think we'll, we'll see the player that I think he could have been. So yeah, I've had a few, I really, as I said, really enjoy, um, you know, Gippsland. I had Brennan Goddard as a number one too, and he was a fantastic player, Jason Winderlich. And so there's, yeah, there's a few. And I love the fact that I can watch a game of footy and, and watch my players play, and I'll get a really big buzz out of that. What's the balance for you? Because essentially you're a development coach in the TAC Cup. Where's the balance between trying to fit these young men up for what's going to come somewhere down the track and also actually trying to instill the habit of winning a game of football into them? Um, Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, You you battle with that all the time. I think if you can create a winning culture, a good culture, then that development can go through the roof. Uh, not necessarily mean that um, they'll get drafted. Uh, you know, I've had, had successful teams that, you know, made grand final and had three drafted. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, we got beaten in the first final, had 10 drafted. So um, it's a matter of just making sure you give them the opportunity to display and, and, and just show their wares every weekend, put them in different positions. Uh, but again, allowing them to play to their strengths and, and show recruiters and AFL clubs that this is what I can do really well. How long do you see yourself doing this? I'm not really sure. I, I, I do really enjoy it. Um, uh, so I'm not sure. I'd, I'd like to get back into the AFL environment 
uh, one day. Maybe it's a in a, a recruiting or a list management uh, sort of position um, or a development role. But um, at the moment, I really enjoy what I do. It fits in with my with my work at the moment um, at Roval Sports Academy, and um, you know, I'm very comfortable at the moment. I guess you've got to live and breathe footy. It's always in your mind when you're a coach and when you're guiding young men. Was that always the case when you were a young kid growing up in WA? Would you eat a football? Did you just love the game as a kid? Yeah, I did. I did, um, and it's all I wanted to ever do. Um, you know, back in back in our day, it was you know footy from March till September and cricket from October to February. And uh, but as I got older, you know, footy kept on creeping in past. September and, and earlier than uh, than February. So, um, you know, I come from a family of a very, you know, my father was a fairly well-known figure in AFL, uh, waffle footy. Um, he played at my club, West Perth, in the 60s. My mum's father actually coached West Perth um, back in the 50s. Um, my older brother played footy for West Perth over there as well. So um, it was something I always wanted to do. And, um, you know, I love footy. I Grow up, you know, as soon as I could get home from school, I was out kicking the footy. And when mum called me for dinner, it was time to put footy away. And then I'd get the sock out in the house and yeah. kick through the door or the balloon or something like that. And, and I think, um, you know, it's all I ever wanted to do. And, and to have the opportunity to then go on and do it, I was, you know, something I was really happy with. How many light fittings did you knock over or vases uh, broken yeah, with the plenty, sock? Plenty yeah. in the wires, the front, the wires out the front would yeah. come down and, and the SEC would have to come and fix them up. But <laughs> there was always some sort of goals between, you know, two trees or, or something yeah. like that. But it was just, it was just all I wanted to do and all I did um, every night after school. And you know, I loved the Saturday. I loved going to watch the footy. You go watch West Perth. Watch my brother play before I started playing. Um, you know, twelve o'clock in Perth um, on the radio. Smokey Dawson and John Bigelow were, you know. Biggs and Smokey would be on the radio and they were an institution. You'd listen to them from 12 o'clock. Watch the winners. Watch the winners at 6 o'clock on, in, on a Sunday afternoon after countdown at 5 o'clock. And <laughs> so that was when I come in. It was about 5, half past 5, and I knew mum would have dinner ready for 6 o'clock and we'd all sit around the TV watching the winners. Righto. We asked the big questions on the show, Darren. Uh, who was your favourite band on Countdown? I was big uh, Skyhooks. Yeah, I was big on Skyhooks. Uh, the late and great Sherl. Yeah, yeah, loved his footy too. Yeah. Great Hawthorne man he was. Yes, he was. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, but that was the Sunday. That was, the, and it really was. Peter it was an institution in Perth. You yeah. know, there was countdown five o'clock, and 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 mainly the winners at six o'clock, and um, yeah, it was a good hour. The other thing you had to do in Perth was you had to hate the Vicks. Did you hate them? Um, not necessarily, because I actually barracked for Essen, which was a real bonus right. in the end. Um. And I really loved, um, I remember Tuesday afternoons. They used to have the State of Origin when it first started on a Tuesday afternoon. So mm. being a boy of 13 in my teens, um, it was great to be able to get out of school and, and go to Subiaco Oval to watch the Big V. And and, it's, and you might say you might hate, but it was like they were these colossus um, yeah. men come over and they had the Big V in front of them on their jumper. And uh, it was always great to see really the people you were watching on TV on a Sunday afternoon on the winners actually see them in real life. And uh, I didn't hate the Vicks because I, deep down I wanted to come over here and, and play in it for a Victorian team. So um, it was something that, uh, I, I, but I really enjoyed it, yeah. Well, was it a state game that probably helped you to do that because you played, I think, for WA before you came over? Yeah. Was that what brought you to the attention of 
the people who were making the decisions? I actually, um, it was, I, I played senior footy. I had a pre-season. I was 17 with West Perth and, and Noel Judkins was a recruiting officer at Essendon. Um, and they actually came to a pre-season game to watch another player. And I'm not sure whether it was our, if I'm one of our players or the opposition were playing. And, and it was my first sort of game and I did half okay. Um, and, um, I had some contact with Essendon. That was, uh, 85, 85. I started playing over there. Um, and, um, by the end of, or halfway through or the end of 85, I got contact by Essendon. Um, and there was some interest there. And, um, then it was just, uh, I played a, a year of footy at, in the Waffle le- uh, League. Um, and, End of 87, the Eagles were forming. Um, and I remember Ron Alexander, the first coach, coming over to our house and and pitching to me, that would you like to come and play and be one of the original uh, members? And I was only 18 at the time. Um, and in the back of mind, all I wanted to do was come to Victoria and play. And it was interesting. It was the, and I, because I like a little bit of a horse, a little bit of a punter as well, and mm-hmm. horses, it was Caulfield Cup weekend and the Eagles were going to f- make their announcement of their 30 original 30 initial 35 uh, on the Wednesday or Thursday of that week. Noel Judkins rang me on the Saturday morning and said, we've got an old form four or well, the form fours that they used to have. We've got one. Would you be interested in signing? And uh, he didn't have to ask t- twice. So you've looked at these guys when they come over for state games, you barrack for Essendon and you find yourself at Windy Hill. Mm. I've often asked guests on this program, what their first impression is and how daunting it was to find themselves in that situation. What was it like as a young kid walking into that dressing room? I like heaven and I don't know what heaven looks like, but <laughs> it was, it was, it, as you said, I, I mean, two years early out the front, I was pretending to be Tim Watson, yeah. kicking it to Terry Danaher and Paul Vanderhaar and, and commentating to myself as a little kid doing that. And then, and then meeting them, um, it was in one way surreal, but in, in one way, it was very natural because they were just natural people. Um, and it only took a day or two to realise that they were natural, normal people and that um, they shared the same things that I loved doing. Um, and I had a great opportunity to, to share something with them. And, um, you know, some of those players, as you mentioned, they're, they're legends of the game. And to be able to play in the same team, I, I found that a real honour and a, a great thrill. And it didn't take long for that team to establish itself. You'd only been there a short time and then comes along the 1990 grand final, that famous grand final. What are your memories of that day where you've stepped out on the MCG as this wide-eyed kid who'd wanted to be there from the time he was mm. knee-high to a grasshopper? What's that experience like? Well, it was um, oh, it was a fantastic experience, the, the build-up. And, and it was a little bit of... Um, we had a fair bit of motivation because the year before, 89, we got to a prelim. We were fairly good that year. And um, uh, Gary Ablett did a job on us in a, in a semi-final after we'd beaten Geelong. And then, uh, and then Dermy did a job on us out, out at Waverley in a, in a um, prelim final. So there was a little bit of motivation to get there. Um, we had a really good year, 90. Uh, we didn't have a lot of luck leading in. We had, I think we... We had a bye going into the last round and then there was a drawn, a drawn final between uh, Eagles and Collingwood, which we probably didn't play a game in three weeks. And mm. It really put us behind a little bit, but we got through and we were obviously very confident going into the game. Um, 
kicked the first couple, I think one of the first couple, I think we led really well, but if you only kick three after the first two, you're in a bit of trouble, Pete. Yeah. But the experience was fantastic. Um, leading up to probably about quarter time and, and that's uh, when things started going a bit haywire. I was going to ask you, um, how heavy was your involvement in what happened at quarter time? Um, you know, I got I got reported, and I've never been reported, I got reported a couple of times um, for different incidents. I, I, got, um, I got a week um, for an incident caught on, on video. Um, then that was the only time I, I'd been suspended, but that was only a pre-season game. Um, it, was, it was funny, I... And a person that, uh, Tony Shaw was a person that always used to play on me. Um, and I look back now and, and you know, I see Tony around, you know, I do a little bit of work on radio as well. And I see Tony around and fantastic bloke, Tony, but he was one bloke I couldn't stand. He always got the better. And I used to look at him and see this little portly bloke running around and I was meant to be quick and agile, but he, for some reason he always had it on me. And, uh, um, when the the blue started, there was only one bloke I was looking for, and it was Tony. And and I think in the end, Tony beat me that day as well. He, I reckon he snotted me once, and and that was about <laughs> it. So he's always going to have it on me, Shory. So did you land a good one in that no, blue? No, more a I, I can't fight out of paper. Feet, so <laughs> it was all huff and puff, and tried my best and and missed. Played two hundred and thirty eight games. Was that? As close as you've been to a situation that was out of control on the um, football field, probably looking back, yeah, maybe, maybe, but it 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 simmered pretty quickly, uh, and I didn't see the the after shocks of it with with what happened with the coaches and admin and that. But um, you know, we in hindsight we didn't handle it really well, and and Collingwood did, and uh, but yeah, I mean, the the game the game got out of control for us um, fairly quickly after that. But in terms of um, what was happening in the Malay and that it, it was in the end, it was, it was, no, it was nearly normal for those sort of days, really. That was a famous grand final, Darren. The one that happened three years later was also a famous grand final. We'll mm. talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break, the baby, baby bombers, that famous era and that wonderful victory in 93. What a pleasure it is to have Darren Buick in the studio as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. More with Darren coming up after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Great to have Darren Buick in the studio as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. So the disappointment of 1990, how much did that act, Darren, as a spur to eventually get to the big day and come out happier than you were on that day? Oh, yeah, and it took us three years to do it. Um, And we went through a fair bit of change. Um, You know, some of the legends of the club retired and, um, you know, and Terry and Simon and Vanderhaar and, and those sort of blokes who played in a really good era in 84 and 85. And, and, and that was a, that was a really important part of our development, the, the current, that current group coming through, because in all honesty, all we used to hear about was the 84, 85 and how good that was. And just from old staff around the place and, and that, and, um, with the new blokes coming through, um, it was, we sort of had a catch fry, it was our time and 93 was going to be our time. And, and probably through halfway through the year, we thought, well, this, this can be our time if we, 
if we get everything together. We obviously introduced a lot of young players into the team. Uh, we still had some um, a good few senior players in in halves and and Bomber Thompson and Paul Salmon and and Tim Watson came back um, out of retirement. Um, so we had a good mix, and we had some who turned out to be sensational young players coming through, and and we just got on a bit of a roll halfway through the year, and it just got a feeling that whatever would happen, that we were going to be around the mark, and um, yeah, we got we were able to get to the finals, um, play really well, and and ultimately win the grand final in a you know probably one that we probably shouldn't have won if you, mm-hmm. you stack up all the the lists and and the quality and that, but. Um, you know, we were in the right place, right time, and we generally had um, some really determined players and we had a real focus to win that. And, you know, you might say it was out of turn, but someone's got to win it, and we were the right place at the right time. When you get a group of young men and they achieve a lot along the way, there's always the lingering doubt on the back of your mind that when the pressure really goes on, when that final hurdle comes up, that it's going to bring you down. Did it feel like that against Adelaide? Uh, not really, not really, because we'd been in a few situations like that through the year. Um, and the thing with this young group coming through, they were always upbeat. So if you were feeling down yourself, it didn't seem to affect them too much. Um, and we, as I said, we had some really good leaders and some developing leaders too that um, really each group sort of drew on each other. Um, the young blokes drew on our experience and our leadership and the, the older blokes drew on their enthusiasm and pr- probably their the, their naivety, if you like, naivety that, um, you know, well, this is footy. This is mm. what we do. We'll be right. And there was lots of games during the year where we were down and out, but just somehow with our um, with the group, we were able to get through. And, and that prelim um, was very similar. And when we walked off, I remember, and this is why I think Bomber Thompson, one of the best player, manager, coaches type, that he was instrumental at half time in gathering all the players together and and he was good at giving a, a serve bomber and he, he'd go straight to the, the fact straight away and, and then Kevin was able just to work from that and just remind us of certain things that we had to do and um, we knew if we'd kicked a couple of goals early that, you know, being at our home ground, the MCG, it was compared to an Adelaide, that um, they'd never been in a situation before that they might be the ones to buckle and we got off to a good start in the third quarter and, and things sort of snowballed from there. And as you said, subsequently, a week later, you go on, you win the flag. So again, we go back to the dream of the boy who was kicking the football in Barrack for yeah. Essendon. I guess we think of the moments when you get your hand on the cup and when the medallion is presented to you. Are there other moments that you remember from that day vividly that stick in your mind? Oh, just the the staff. I really... I really um, enjoy what the staff feel and think because um, they're on the journey as well. And if it's not, if, it's, if we haven't got them, then we haven't got the ultimate success. Um, um, I love the last five minutes of the game when you when you realise you know, we're forty points up. You realise that, geez, that's uh, I, I reckon we're we're there. And you know, as you said, it's. Any young footballer coming through, all they want to do is win a grand final. And, um, you know, you think of different things going through and I, I even think now. And, um, you know, my family was there. I lost my father when I was 17, so he wasn't there. Um, but those sort of things come back to you and go, I wish he was. Um, but then you get to share it with 
those 20 players um, is something really special. In you know, the five minutes after all the euphoria and, and it finishes, you get you and you go back in the rooms and you sit down and you have five minutes. I remember having five minutes just to think about things. Um, that's that's the special feelings I've had. It is an amazing place, that dressing room, after a grand yeah. final, isn't it? With yeah. not only the players and the staff, as you talk about, but family and friends and people who've been instrumental in getting you to that yeah. point. It is, it's a euphoric place like very few others. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and that's it. You see the joy on people's face. Yeah. And, um, and to be a part of that is really special, I think. Um, and then, as I said, I think, when you get away from that and you can just spend five minutes by yourself or five minutes. And I remember being with David Grenville for five minutes and we're just sitting in the shower and we had a, we had a crown lager in our hands and the water was coming and I looked at him and said, how good is this? Mm. And there was no one else around and he, you know, it was just, that was a special moment. The natural expectation is when you do something like that, that it's probably going to happen pretty soon after that. Uh, It didn't take long, just a, a couple of short years before the, bane of the footballer's existence came and fell on you, mm. the knee injury. Yeah, yeah. Um, Geelong MCG, yeah. Uh, I think it was David Mench might have fallen across my leg just at half forward. And Did you know straight away? No, I, I didn't know straight away. It was, it was strange because I think um, previous weeks, maybe David Swartz might have done his knee. Um, I think Matty Richardson might have up at the MCG the first time. And so there's a few of them going around and uh, I know I was in a fair bit of pain um, on the ground. And I'm told if you do an ACL with pain for a few minutes, then it goes away. But Mm. my pain wasn't going away. And uh, when I went into the rooms, um, the doc, and it was uh, Ian Reynolds at the time, uh, not Reedy, he said, well, we better get your scans. It doesn't look too good. He said, but I don't know why you've got more pain. And as as it turned out, doing the, the scans and things like that, I had a, a heap of little mini minor fractures in the in the knee as well um, and a little bit of cartilage as well. So um, that's what the pain was about. But then the sinking feeling of thinking, oh, I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do, you know, what I love doing, um, that really hits in. I remember doing in the hospital waiting for the results. Um, I'm, I'm not playing next week. Don't worry about next week. I might not be playing for 12 months. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing. But I, I, when I originally did it and, and come back, um, in a way, Pete, I, I wish I'd done it four or five years earlier because you really appreciate something. And when you haven't got it, you really want to make sure that you make the most of it. And I think I was a more dedicated and, and more professional player when I come back from the, the knee surgery. Um, than I was beforehand. Maybe I'm a bit younger then, but um, you know, I wish I'd done it a little bit earlier if I was ever going to do it. Not that I wanted to, but it would have made me appreciate what I had a bit more. A lot of footballers, Darren, talk about what a terrible place the rehab room is. Were you in there a lot of the time by yourself or did you have someone in there with you who was also going down the same path? How, how dark a place is it? You spend a lot of time by yourself and you spend a lot of time... And back then, it wasn't as... It wasn't as full-time as it is now. You, you didn't have the constant rehab work you had to do. So you spent a lot of, I spent a lot of time at home. Um, took me a while to go to the footy again to watch, um, just because I couldn't move around as much. Um, but then once you get back into it and, and get down the club, you're treated as a normal person again, a normal player. The only thing is you're not playing. So um, once you get past, 
I, I reckon once you get past that about six months mark, um, you can see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. You can do a little bit more, and um, and then it's about winning when you come back and and making sure you don't come back too early and and those sort of things. But um, it can get lonely. But um, I think these days the support they have around players in rehab is is a lot more than what it was when when we were about. Whatever you did, whatever you were told, whatever the rehab was, it may go down as the great model of rehab because when you came back, <laughs> yeah. you first came back, what did you do? Uh, it was the centenary game against Geelong. It was a Wednesday night and uh, yeah, I had a good night, but I kicked nine that night. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it's interesting, as I, and I said, you want to come back and play. It was round, maybe round around eight or nine and it was about 12 months and a couple of weeks after around that time nearly 12 months and it was Anzac Day um, a few weeks a few games before and I'd played one I played I think I played one reserves game a reserve game and and they put the side up early a squad to train because it was a Tuesday Wednesday the Anzac game and my name wasn't up there and um, so I as I as I was, I went to see Kevin and said, well, "Why I played a game back? Why aren't I back playing?" He said, "You're not ready." I said, "Oh, I think I am ready." He said, "You're not ready." And in the end, while well, I had to accept what the coach was saying, that I was filthy about that, and then I actually played a couple more, and we played a game up in Sydney, and I I don't think I was that good, I, but I got through the game and, and was starting to get a bit of a feel for it. And after straight after the game, he said, "I think you'll play this Wednesday." I said, oh, great. And so he'd already, like, directly after the reserve game, before the, the, the league game, he said, well, you'll play next week. So in a way, it would be good if I didn't kick any goals because then he wouldn't be right to <laughs> coach again. <laughs> um, but he was. And, you know, it was, yeah, it was a special night. It was a really good night. Yeah. I think you might have had another one too. Was it against the Eagles? You kicked eight goals, I think, in one yeah, game? Yeah, uh, first round 93. Yeah. Um, went over there and... Um, that was great. It was in front of my family and, and that uh, that type of thing. But, uh, yeah, the, the nine goals was a special one. It certainly was, and it's still talked about by Bomber supporters to these days. When we take a break, uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about another couple of games that were talked about by Bomber supporters, one of them in 1999, one of them in 2000, and probably different reactions from the Bomber supporters yeah. about those games and no doubt from you yeah. as well. Great to have Darren Buick with us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Darren Buick. 238 games for the Bombers. And we're going to talk, Darren, about uh, a couple of those games I mentioned before the break. One you'll have um, great recollections of. The one the year before, probably not so. It was Victorian Election Day when you fronted up in the preliminary final that you couldn't possibly lose against Carlton. But you did. We did. The government lost the the unlosable as well that day. Um, It was as disappointing day as... In my footy career, we, I mean, we'd lost a, a prelim three years early in 96 by a point as well when, when Plugger kicked one over um, after the siren when we were probably two goals up with two or three minutes to go. Um, and then, yeah, to throw that one on top uh, is another disappointing one. It's, 
and against who it was in Carlton. Um, the old enemy. Yeah, the old enemy. Um, and and for me, the old enemy for a long time because my younger brother um, barracked for Carlton and uh, they were very success, successful, obviously, in the early 80s. And he used to hang it on me a fair bit, my younger brother. And um, one day, I remember going home one day after footy and, and Essendon got beaten in the elimination final again. It might have been early 80s, uh, 83, something like that, or it might have been the end of the season, and he'd put some mothballs on the on the front doormat. <laughs> well, I used to fight with my younger brother all the time, but that just made it, made it all. So I went looking for him and smashed the jeebers out of him. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, they were a real enemy. He said it probably was the unlosable game. and um, So what happened? Anthony Kudafidis. Yes. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, he, he decided to pull out one of his big games and... Probably, probably announced himself that really that that year he had, and then that game he sort of topped him, topped everything off. We were we were poor early, we couldn't kick a goal, and then the third quarter we 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 got on top and probably got two to three goals up, and, and then couldn't uh, sustain it. May have been a bit ahead of ourselves, looking towards what might happen the week after. But um, you know, any anyone who's involved in sports knows that you've got to concentrate on the moment and. And uh, we weren't able to, and to Carlton's credit, they were able to to win and go through to a grand final. Did that instill an anger, a pain in your gut that was the catalyst for what happened in the following season? Oh, most definitely. And I think the person with the most pain in their gut was the coach. Decided that we needed to go watch the game the next week. So we had dinner, uh, we had lunch at a, a restaurant just over the road from the MCG. He was still filthy. He said, you're going across to watch it. He made us walk from the from this restaurant through through Yarra Park to gate two or three. And, he, and every second person you saw was, was a Carlton supporter with their scarf on. Um, and as their want is, they're allowed to say whatever they like. And they were pretty good that day. And then we had to sit down and watch it in, in the stand. There wasn't no private box or anything like that. We were, you know, row... F, G and H in the in the old member, or I think it's the old northern stand. Mm. Um, so around the public and um, that that was as hard a day as had watching a game of footy, obviously. Um, he allowed us to leave just before the end. Um, but that had really set the, the wheels in motion for that following year. Our, our pre-season was as hard as we've ever had, mainly through um, the players pushing themselves and pushing each other. Um, and there was no, and to be all honest, Pete, there was no way we were ever going to lose that year. We lost one game through the year uh, to the Bulldogs, but um, that was the flood game, the famous yeah, it was, flood game. Yeah. Did that come at a good time? Yes, yeah. I, I actually remember doing a radio interview after that game, and the and the hype was, you know, can and go through, win twenty two home and away games, then win three or four finals, and be undefeated for the year, and and. And I don't know what radio station or journalist it was asked me what the feeling was like, and automatically I just said, "Well, we only have to win five in a row now. We don't have to worry. We win about twenty six. There's only five in a row, and that should be easier." So um, it did. It did come at a good time, and and probably just refocused what we needed to do um, in terms of you know you know dotting the i's and crossing the t's to make sure that we were ready to go. But um, uh, in that year, Pete, our training was as sharp and as intense as anything um, because we know we had 
maybe eight to ten players who could take your spot at one time. And I actually missed a few games during the year. I played on the bench a fair bit, and the coach come up to me and said that I was being dropped to the um, to the reserves, um, and I'd never been dropped before. I'd only played a couple of games coming back from injury, and uh, then from then I was three or four games in the reserves, and all I had to do was well, work my bum off to try and get back in. Um, and you knew on a Tuesday and Thursday night, some of our Tuesday night training and Thursday night training was was harder and and had more intensity than some of the games we played during the year. Can you compare the two achievements, Darren? The 93 Baby Bombers, a young, fresh-faced man winning a premiership and then reacting to the disappointment of 99 and winning in 2000. Yeah. Is it a bit like saying, which one of your kids do you love the most? Yeah, or? a little bit. A little bit. That's why you play. Um, 93 came pretty quickly and unexpectedly, um, whereas 2000, we expected us to win. Um, the playing group expected us to win. So um, it was not relief, but it was uh, probably a little bit of justification. And um, I told you so. This is what should have happened last year. Um, glad it's happened this year. It probably wasn't as, for myself, it wasn't as... Um, celebrated as much. I, I loved, again, watching the people around and and a number of new players were playing in their first premiership as well. Um, so um, it was a great feeling and, and as it turned out, it turned out to be my last game. So in hindsight, they were very different and very reflective of the last one. Is that the perfect way to go out, playing your last game and holding up the cup? Uh, looking at it now, Pete, it was. Yeah. It, it is. It is. Uh, um, I had every intention of playing on and um, and uh, I had a conversation with Kevin probably a week and a half after that, and he suggested uh, that maybe it wasn't, of which I disagreed, but, you know, they're the coach and the player's not as big as the coach, uh, the, the club. So, um, you know, it just opened up another avenue and a different different path, and that's where I got into my coaching. When you got to the end, did it seem like it was just a blink of the eye, the football journey? Yeah, most definitely. Um, most like It's 19 years since I played a game of footy. And it that, that nineteen years has gone pretty quick, um, but that the thirteen years I played, um, it, it did. It went, as you said, in a blink of an eye. And I think it's because you love doing what you're doing, and and it just rolled one day rolled into another. And um, you know, for me going to Windy Hill, you know, three or four times during the week, and then playing the MCG was what I wanted to do. And um, to be able to do that for 13 years, it, it was very, very special. And I've always got those memories, but um, it does go very quick. And, and you do not forget about things, but um, I remember we had a, a uh, reunion last year, uh, a 25-year reunion for the 93 Premiership. And and you forget about certain things, but some of the players got up on stage and had a little bit of a an interview with a host and they'd say things like, oh, geez, I remember that. That was fantastic. You know, um, people going down to talk to Tim Watson and to get him out of retirement and certain other things. And, um, yeah, it brings back some really great memories. The bond that'll never be broken. And that's true. It never, it, it never broke, uh, never be broken. Um, you know, and that's again, one of my disappointments that in 90, I haven't got that same bond with a Simon Madden or a Terry Danaher or Paul Vanderhaar, who who are my idols. You know, I'm not catching up with them every five years to to reflect and tell tall stories about how good we were. But yeah, you know, each year I catch up 
we have a reunion for the 2000 boys, um, which is a really special day. Um, and as I said, we caught up last year with the, the 93 boys and it is, it's like yesterday. And I, I remember sitting with, standing at the bar with Tim Watson, um, SEN's own Tim Watson. And, uh, <laughs> we look, it was just looking, looking across all the, the, the people there and, um, a lot of them haven't changed. A lot of them haven't changed at all. They still have the same part they had in the in the premier, like the larrikin, or there was the the deep thinker, or take off their jackets and shirts and put their footy gear on, and and that was what they were twenty five years ago. When you walked into the studio, you said, "I'm not sure whether we can get an hour out of this." Well, <laughs> we are out of time, and there are right. so many things we haven't discussed. But we're going to take our final break. And I want to get some closing thoughts about the man that you've mentioned a few times, Kevin Sheedy, one of the great characters of footy. We'll find that out from Darren Buick on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Our final segment with Darren Buick on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Now, the big question that I wanted to ask you before we talk about Sheeds, who was the first one to call you Boris? Back playing at West Perth uh, when I was 16, 17, it was the time that Boris Becker come on the scene, won Wimbledon as a 17-year-old, and I can tell you it wasn't due to my forehand or, <laughs> or my volley at the net. As we come to the end of our chat, tell us about Sheeds. An interesting relationship. I came across, and I mentioned earlier, my father died when I was uh, 17 and I come across three years later. He was more to, a father figure to me early on, um, Kevin. He, again, he had this aura about him, you know, Kevin Sheedy, his stories, his hard taskmaster, all this sort of thing, but he, a very caring man. He was initially very much a, a father figure to me as well as a coach. And we butted head a lot towards the end of my career. And I think I've got a theory that it's because as any young man does, they, they have their own opinion a little bit and sometimes that goes against what your dad might think and, and you butt heads. And I think that was why I've got the utmost love and respect for the man. Um, he gave me an opportunity to do what I wanted to do for the whole of my life. That's never going to change. But we did have some rocky parts in our, in our relationship. I can honestly say, and if he's listening, the love and respect for him that I had then is the same now. He's a, he's a wonderful man. He, he's done so much for so many people. I'll forever be grateful for what he's been able to do for me. Well, the way he's guided you is something that you're doing to young men and you've been doing to young men in your job as a coach for 10 years. Long may it continue. It's been a brilliant career, a couple of flags, so many memorable moments along the way, that nine-goal performance that people still talk about. So given the fact that your mum and your wife call you Darren, <laughs> Boris, thanks for coming in. No worries at all, Pete. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Darren Buick joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives, another great of the game coming up same time next week. Hope you can join us then. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.